Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. You're listening to the Vox Media Podcast Network. Welcome back to the Fighter versus the Writer. I'm your host, as always, Damon Martin. And this week, I am excited to be joined by one of the top analysts in the game. And uh, it's a big week, UFC 296. He's coming off a weekend calling uh, out at UFC Vegas 83 as well. Always my pleasure to welcome in Alan Joban. Alan, how are you? I'm great, man. Uh, yeah, I had, had a fantastic time at the fights over the weekend. Um, but this week, man, this is uh, this is one of those cards, uh, you know, just taking a look at it. It's it's from top to bottom. I mean, there's notable names everywhere you look from the first fight of the night with Randy Brown to the main event. This is going to be one of those spectacular cards that I'm looking forward to all fight week. Is this I mean, is this on, on paper maybe the best card of, of 2023? I mean, when you look at top to bottom, you know, when you look at it, like I feel like it could be. I think it is, man. I think top to bottom. I think so. You know, there's cards, like when you think about the BMF one, that one had such a buzz about it. It started to kind of fall apart towards the end, right? We lost some of the bigger names. But then when you have the star power of a Poirier and a Geishi and some of those guys, you know, it elevates the card. And so I think they help carry the card or keep it together, even though they lost some of those fights. I think Polo Costa fight fell off and things like that. But as you just said, top to bottom from prelim, to main event and then when you just look at the main card alone i mean ian gary versus vincente luke is the first fight that we get on pay-per-view is it's it's mind-boggling it's one of those fights that as soon as it's one of those cards that as soon as one fight ends you get goosebumps thinking wait this is the next fight like you don't have to wait three or four kind of okay fights it's fight after fight banger after banger the whole time so yes my answer is yes man this might be the best card put together this whole year this is a rare treat where like every fight on this main card could headline a card. Like maybe not a pay-per-view, but like every car, every fight on this card could headline, a sure. could headline a fight night without a doubt. I agree, man. I agree. I mean, I would just, um, I mean, like I said, that Randy Brown Muslim Sadikov fight, that's a banger. That's the first fight of the night. That's the early prelim fight. And you look on it, Andre Feely's on there. Alonzo Manafield versus Dustin Jacoby. That's a banger right there. Cody Garbrandt versus Brian Kelleher's on the prelim. I mean, it's like Josh Emmett versus Bryce Mitchell. Is a Bryce Mitchell the late replacement versus Josh Emmett? I mean, come on. That's a prelim. That's a prelim. That's free right there, folks. Yeah, Cody Garbrandt on the prelims is wild. Like, that should tell you how yeah. stacked this card is. There's, like, no other card he would generally be on the prelims. This is how stacked this card is. This is a great one. It's uh, I, I, I expect it 
to deliver. I, you look at the matchups and, uh, ugh, you know, in this business, they say, don't jinx anything. So <laughs> I have to watch my footing because I've, <laughs> I've been accused of jinxing stuff before. <laughs> but it's just when you look at the amount of quality fighters on here and their quality matchups, it, it, it seems like a card that, that that's destined to deliver. Absolutely. Well, we got a lot to get into, Alan. Let's just get right into it. The card, of course, you mentioned kicks off with, again, a fight that could easily be a main event with Ian Gary taking on Vicente Luque. Of course, you know, Vicente Luque came back, scary health condition, took some time off, came back, had a great five-round win over Rafael Dos Anjos. Of course, Ian Gary's on a run right now. But let's be honest, Ian Gary's got a lot of distractions going on in his life right now. We can't ignore everything that's been going on with Ian Gary. Going to Leon Edwards' gym and that whole situation – Ended up training down Brazil. We know there's a very, very public spat with Sean Strickland. He's talked about he actually was worried about the safety of his family coming into the United States. So, listen, we'd all love to just focus on the fight, but we can't ignore that Ian Gary's got a lot going on right now going into this card. And those small things make big distractions, right? You know, these are the outside. The public might think, well, this is a talented guy. He's got this charismatic confidence going on. A lot of that confidence, it, it comes from places, right? People are born with confidence sometimes. You look at Conor McGregor. But the confidence during fight week comes from preparation. It comes from checking every single box. It comes from the people that you have around you that's giving you this positive information. This camp seems unlike a lot of his other camps. You know, he's bouncing around at gyms right now. He's getting kicked out of gyms or not being welcomed at every gym that he wants to go to. That's kind of – that alone takes your confidence away. Can you imagine you travel to the U.K. to go train – at a gym and they say you're no longer invited here i mean it's they shut the door on you it that does something to you right i mean it could motivate some people but it could it could be a a kick in the confidence department right there and so i'm very curious man to see how ian gary deals with this fight and and then it's not like they're giving him a feeder this time you know and, and he you know was his last fight neil magny i believe where neil he magny, chopped yep. the legs and then before yep. that was um daniel rodriguez those are obviously not feeder fights. Daniel Rodriguez is an amazing fighter with uh with um with uh like like a power that you don't think he possesses. He doesn't look very powerful, but he very much is very powerful with tremendous boxing. But there is ways to kind of set up tricks on him. And Ian Gary sp spotted that immediately and set up something. And and he got caught. He was able to chop down Neil Magny. Neil Magny's that guy that always is kind of like are you a top 10? Are you a top 15 or not? Because otherwise, Neil Magny will send you packing. He got past that test. But now we get to Vincente Luque, a guy that will get in your face and press forward. And, and if you make a mistake, he's going to capitalize on it. And these guys have history together, right? I mean, these guys are training at the same gym for a while. I mean, for, for quite a while. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, they were. I talked to Vincente last week, and he said they used to, they were like main sparring partners for quite a while. Wow. Um, they spent a lot of time together, a lot of sparring rounds together, and he praised him. He said he was a great teammate. Uh, he did okay. not, you know, he did not take the the road of uh, he did not take the, the the low road. But that's just Vicente Luque. But he said that's him. Yeah, gr great teammate, great training partner. He's like we had a lot of great sparring rounds. It was fun to train with a guy like that. And you know, they spoke when the fight got booked, and and that partially led you know Ian had decided once the fight got booked he would leave Kill Cliff because they were training. He had trained there for Neil Magny. Uh, Henry Hooft is actually not going to be in Vicente's corner this weekend because he decided not to get in the middle of it. He said, you guys yeah. are cool to fight, but I'm not going to be, I'm not going to get in the middle of that. So I'm not going to corner Ian. I'm not going to corner you. So like, they seemed like it wasn't like Ian wasn't, you know, there, he was there for a while. And, and, and Vicente said they spent a lot of time sparring together. So he does know him really well. 
It's so interesting, right? I mean, these guys, there's a lot of times you say, look, we've worked together before. And a lot of times what that is, is you go to Vegas, you get some training in, you go in there, you get around in with Sean Strickland, you get around in with some Chris Curtis or something like that. But when you're at the same gym and you're literally, you, you guys pair up, you kind of get that. When you go to gym, when, when you're part of the same team and you have a fellow UFC fighter that's a welterweight and you don't see each other as competition, you say, let's work together because this is a familiar body type, a, a, a body type. You know, I'm not going to go with a 55 or an 85 or if I'm a 70 and you're a 70, we're on the same level. I'm looking for that exact type of movement that you could show me that you can give to me. This is going to make my game so much tighter. These guys know each other. These guys know each other's style. They know each other's game. They've been in there. They, they know the weaknesses and they're not speaking about them yet. But it makes me wonder if these guys are going to come out and have somewhat of a feeler first couple of rounds, right? Where it becomes almost a sparring match because they know each other's strengths already. And so they go into that kind of sparring match mode. And when I think about that, that really plays into the favor of Ian Gary because Ian Gary is a tremendous, tremendous offensive fighter. And he's got defense as well, but he kind of reminds me of a Sean O'Malley because he's longer, he's taller, he's faster than most guys, and he's a precision striker. And if he stays at range, if Vincente stays at range with a guy like that, He'll pick you apart. He did that. He did that in the uh, Neil Magny fight, and he'll pick Vincente Luque apart. And Vincente Luque is a guy that takes shots. I mean, you know, he doesn't ever escape a fight clean. He always takes shots. So he's going to have to put this kind of mutual re respect aside. He's going to have to try to push through the smoke of this is a sparring match at first when they're kind of feeling each other out. And he's going to have to get into the fire because that's where he's going to land the damage. And that's when he does his best work in any fight. But Cynthia Luque gets into the fire. He always seems to land that third or fourth punch that the opponent is not landing. But if he stays on the range on the outside and, and they keep it a sparring match, Vincente's going to pick him apart. I mean, uh, Ian's going to pick him apart, rather. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the Wonder Boy fight when Wonder Boy when Wonder Boy fought Vicente, yes. kept him on the end of his punches and of his kicks. He didn't get destroyed, but he didn't win. He obviously just couldn't get inside a Wonder Boy, and he kind of got picked apart on the outside. And I think on paper, Vicente actually, in my opinion, has more ways to win because he has the wrestling, he has the grappling, incredible submissions. But we also know Vicente likes to get drawn into those wars. He likes to get drawn into those battles, and that can backfire on you. And I think if he just goes in there and doesn't try to immediately go for a takedown, doesn't try to make Ian think about the takedown. As you said, on the outside, that's just a dangerous game to play. You can play sniper on the outside. It may not end up being a typical Vicente Luque fight where it's a big, exciting finish, but I think if Ian plays it smart, he can do to Vicente what Wonderboy did to Vicente. Stay on the outside, pick your shots, just keep chipping away at him, chipping away at him. And when you because when you rewatch that Vicente Luque Wonderboy fight, it wasn't particularly close. Like it wasn't a particularly close fight. It wasn't a knockdown drag out war, but it was a pretty one sided performance for Wonderboy yeah. on the feet. And I kind of feel like I get the gut feeling it's a little bit what we might be seeing right here. Just again, they know each other so well, and I do think Ian is a pretty good striker. Now, I do, I do question, you know, because Ian, obviously Ian talks a big game as he should. He's a very talented guy. I don't know that this is the fight where we're going to figure out the ceiling for Ian Gary quite yet. Like, I don't know. Like, obviously he believes he's going to be a champion. Maybe he will. But you and I know, Alan, there's certain guys that we look at, and I think we're going to talk about one in a little bit, like Shevkat Rachmanov, who we're going to talk about in a couple fights. That's a guy, day one, day two, I was like, that guy's going to be a champion, or he's going to be, at worst, he's going to be a top contender. 
I'm not disrespecting Ian Gary by saying he can't do it, but I don't quite have that feeling about him just yet. Now, could he do it? Could he evolve and become that guy? Absolutely. But I'm not there yet on Ian Gary. I don't know how you feel about that. I'm not quite sold on him quite yet. I'm not sold on him yet either. I think he, um, but you know what? You know who I, I also wasn't sold on, Damon? Was Sean O'Malley. Because they're very much, they're similar to me. They're outside snipers that have a speed and a skill advantage from range, but they don't like dirty fights. And we have yet to really see how good Ian is when he gets in these fights with wrestlers, when he's when he's when he's getting his arms sapped against the fence for five minutes and then has to come out and fight off a takedown immediately after the bell rings. We haven't seen all these areas, but we have seen that he's very, very good from the outside. But I still have question marks as well. I also I thought I think that he's grown every fight and that's what a guy like him should be doing. But the question marks for me came early when he still had the same uh, the same mindset of telling everyone the confidence. I'm going to be a champion. But then he was having trouble with kind of middle of the road guys. You know, he was barely some of these fights. He was barely getting by. He was getting hit. Uh, he got dropped in, in in one of his fights a couple fights ago. Um, uh, by a fighter that just just lost last weekend at the fight night. Um, and so those were the doubts. Those were the questions. He said, look, this guy's got potential. But he's struggling with some of these guys that a Shafkat Rachmanov would run through, that a Tom Aspinall would run through. These guys that right away when they got to the UFC, we knew this guy is special. This guy's going to put people away. He didn't quite show me that. But to his credit, he has shown growth in each and every fight since then, especially with the last two performances that I mentioned with Neil Magny um, uh, and Daniel Rodriguez. He looked he looked excellent in those. So he's going to have to have an excellent fight. But I want to say this, man. I feel that this fight and the next fight that we're going to get into as well, but th these fights for Ian Gary more so I feel than Vicente Luque, this is, this is a make or break fight for him. This is the, by far the, the best competition he's been against. And with everything going on, everything surrounding this fight right now with the bad present, Ian came onto the scene and he had kind of this Conor McGregor flair, right? And a lot of people started kind of, feeling that and then there was a lot of people somewhere in the middle and i feel like with everything that's happened a lot of these people that are in the middle that were in the middle are now not on ian's side right a lot of people were kind of not feeling ian gary's his flair when with everything surrounding him and his wife and some of the things that he's done a win here makes all of that stuff irrelevant a win here puts all that in the past and they go this kid could crack this guy could fight and a win here Puts him an opportunity to stand in the middle of the octagon on pay-per-view, the biggest card of the year, and call out the winner of the main event to start some type of – to get a soundbite, to get some traction going and saying, look, Kobe Covington, you're garbage. I want to take you out. I'm going to put you out to the trash where you belong. Or Leon Edwards, we've got unfinished business. I want to finish. It sets him up for that opportunity to put everything away. So this is a huge pivotal point I find in Ian Gary's career. 100%, 100% agree. Because, yeah, I mean, and I don't mean this as, like, I feel he is. He's kind of become the bad guy a little bit. Like, people have kind of turned on him. Like, Sean Strickland, say what you will about Sean Strickland. Like, sometimes he's like a dog with a bone. And when he goes after somebody, Sean's not a dumb guy. I know Sean gets a lot of criticism because he does say some crazy, insane things, and he absolutely does. But when he gets it, he's a dog with a bone, man. When he picks it, when he gets at you and picks at you and you know it got to you, um, People have kind of turned on him. People have kind of turned on Ian Gary. Like you said, the Conor McGregor thing, absolutely. Conor came in. Conor eventually became the most polarizing guy in the sport. But when Conor first came in, I would say it was like 70-30. Like, everyone kind of liked Conor. Like, even the guys who didn't like Conor kind of liked his 
demeanor and, and he went out there and proved it every time in the in the cage. It feels like that's shifted. Like it's like 30 70 the other way for Ian now. Like he still definitely has <laughs> his did, fans. Man. But go, Sean Strickland did, did this kid no favors by 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 putting his target on his on putting a target on his back. Gotta be honest about that. It makes it a much more of a of a must win for him. And uh, again, that's obviously it's a must win for everybody, but not so much in the standings, not so much in the title contentions. But is Ian Gary going to be a fan favorite? Is he going to be a guy that sells stuff, sells tickets, pay-per-views? Or is he going to be a guy that with a loss here, people go, I'm done with this guy. He, I told you from the start, he was garbage. He was all talk. He was a, he talked a big game, but he didn't show up when they put him with a real fighter. It's it, it's a big moment for him. Absolutely. So moving on to the next one, it's funny we're talking about guys who have come with a lot of hype and popularity, and we're still not really sure where they're at. I think you could say the exact same thing about Patty Pimblett. Incredibly, incredibly uh, popular fighter, for sure. But... I thought he lost to Jared Gordon. No offense to to Patty Pimblett. I scored that fight for Jared Gordon. I thought that was a bad decision. But on the other side of this, you have Tony Ferguson, legend. The part of maybe the greatest what if in MMA history with him and Khabib that they never got to fight. All those cancellations. Now, six losses in a row, four of them by knockout or submission. Rough, rough run for Tony. This is this is such an interesting fight. Because Tony on like on paper, if this was two years ago, you would say they are they are feeding Patty Pimblett to the wolves, giving him Tony Ferguson. Yeah, can't can't say that as much now with Tony the streak he's on. You're wondering here all these he's trained with David Goggins and like all this stuff's going on. I'm I'm fascinated, but also kind of terrified of this fight because I just don't really know what to expect. Let me ask you this, Damon. Um, you mentioned a couple years ago if they would announce this. It would they would have been feeding Patty Pimlet to the wolves, but a lot of people when this fight got announced, they said that they felt honestly that they were feeding Tony Ferguson to the wolves. What was your gut instinct when you heard the news? So my first, my first, my first reaction was I didn't really thought I didn't really think it made sense at the time because I'm like Tony's a legend, like it just seems like almost I won't say dis, I'll, I'll use the word disrespectful, but I don't mean it that way, but almost disrespectful to give him to a guy who's like 4-0 in the UFC, up-and-comer. To build him, yeah. Yeah. But then I started thinking about it more, and like it or not, Tony Ferguson is a well-known, well-regarded guy who probably, for better or worse, probably makes a pretty hefty paycheck. He should. He should make a pretty hefty paycheck. When you're making six figures, mid-six figures, which I assume is what Tony's making, I'm just throwing out a number saying, let's just say he's making two hundred fifty grand a fight. The UFC is not going to put you in there against a contender series guy. They're not going to put you in there against just some guy to build you back up again. You have a name. They're going to put you in there with a name. Patty Pimblett, Patty Pimblett in a weird way, is like a like a lower-risk fight versus fighting like a Jalen Turner or one of those guys. They throw him in there. like That would just seem like unfair to throw Tony in there against a the top 15 guy. He lost to Bobby Green, that kind of thing. So the more I thought about it, the more it made sense because Tony's at a point in his career, he's such a name and he's such a commodity and probably getting paid a lot that they're not going to give him a fight that he can just win. They're not going to give him like, would I think that like maybe him and Jim Miller would make more sense because that's a really fun veteran fight? Yeah, I think that'd be a great fight. Like that's a UFC 300 fight. Tony against Jim Miller. How fun would that be? But Patty Pimblett's a name and... Uh, one thing I've talked to a lot of people about with this, if Tony Ferguson is at his best, and maybe those days are beyond him now, I guess we're going to find out on Saturday night. 
But if Tony Ferguson is at his best and he looks like any remnants of the Tony Ferguson we've known over these last few years, Patty Pimblett could be in trouble. And so I think that's where I started coming around a little bit where I was like, okay, now I kind of, I kind of understand why they made this fight. I agree with a lot of what you said. My thoughts on it. This is the best fight that could, that Tony Ferguson could have gotten. This is the best fight that he could have gotten because you know why? Who is the most beatable guy with the biggest draw in the UFC? It's Patty Pimlet. Patty Pimlet has the biggest fan base, the biggest name, the biggest following in that group of category of guys that's beatable. He is very beatable. As you said, I agree. I thought he lost that fight as well um, earlier in the year. Um, This is, when I got the news, immediately go, God, they're throwing a legend to the dogs. And I thought the same way as well because, because Tony is a legend in his own way for everything that he's done. But when I thought about it as you did, I go, what else? You said some great names. Okay, you give you give him a Jalen Turner or some young bull, some guy in his prime. You give the old lion that. But this is a guy that's beatable in Patty Pimlet. He's good and he's growing and he's got good submission skills on the ground and he kind of just muscles it out and toughs it on the, on the feet. And Tony Ferguson is is well beyond his prime years. But this is a winnable fight. And it's got the maximum upside for Tony Ferguson. If Tony Ferguson beats Patty Pimlet, all of a sudden, Tony Ferguson is that guy. Tony Ferguson, all the doubters, all the naysayers that, that, that have been on him, all of a sudden, he is everybody's hero that is against Patty Pimlet. Because that's what it is. When you're a star, you've got an equal amount of haters as, as you do fans. And... Patty Pimlet has a huge amount of both. A lot of people that don't like Patty Pimlet. So Tony Ferguson now becomes the hero to all these people wanting desperately for, for, for Patty Pimlet to lose. And if he loses, if Tony loses, at this point, I'm kind of like, so what? So what? He's already lost six in a row. He's already gotten finished four times. We already know he's not in his prime. Okay, they built, they built the younger guy off of the older veteran. That's the story of fighting. We see it done all the time. So it doesn't really affect me as much if it was tony ferguson one t- one shot away from a title fight and then they gave him the young bull a shafkat rachmanov type fighter go no this is not right tony ferguson worked his way up the ranks he deserves that next title shot he shouldn't take on the tough 15 number 15 guy that nobody wants to fight but it's a different story his his momentum is gone his, his leverage to getting a title shot or anything else is gone so why not why not win over the masses? Why not become everybody's hero with a huge upside in comparison to the downside of a loss? So I think this is a tremendous fight for Tony, and it could obviously go either way. But a loss, it's another loss for Tony. We have the same conversation we've had three fights in a row. Maybe it's time to hang him up. But a win? Come on, man. Tony <laughs> Ferguson's going to be on top of it. And I can't even imagine. I've been in a position where I lost two fights in a row, and it's all you could think about. It's it's depressing. It's like you just want this world to end. You want this feeling to go away. To be on a six-fight losing streak after he was undefeated for years and to now for years he hasn't felt that that taste of being a, a, a champion again, a, the winner again. Oh, my God. I, I, I want this, and this is nothing against P- Patty Pimlet, but I'm friends with Tony Ferguson. I want this for Tony so bad so he could have that feeling again and kind of feel like, all right, you know what? Maybe I want – he probably feels like I want to hang it up. I wanted to hang it up, but I can't hang it up on these type of terms. But the win over Patty Pimlet, if he feels it's time, I think he'd be able to walk away from the sport. 
Yeah, and also, let's not forget, you know, when you look at Tony's record, six losses. I mean, no one's going to discount that six losses are bad. There's no way to sugarcoat that. But Justin Gaethje, okay, number one contender at lightweight. Charles Oliveira, former champion. Benil Dariush, until his recent couple losses, he was the number one contender, and that was the fight to kind of put him on that radar. Michael Chandler, former title contender. Nate Diaz, former title contender. Bobby Green, who's been on a great streak. Uh, Of course, he just had that loss to Jalen Turner, but that's after he knocked out Grant Dawson inside of a minute you know what i mean so six losses six losses no matter how you paint it is bad like there's no way to sugarcoat it and say it's a good thing but when you look at the level of talent he'd lost to i mean if i know it's an odd question to throw to you this way i'm just on the spur but in honesty if you took those six guys i just mentioned would you pick any of them to lose to patty pimblett because i wouldn't i wouldn't pick any of them to lose to patty pimblett this is a much more, I mean, I don't want to repeat myself, but a much more winnable fight. I mean, he was fighting top-tier competition, the best guys in the division, and, and that's what happens, right? Once you get there, once you get to that top five, or you, you're a guy that's knocking on the door of a title shot, it's only tough fights. And he has slowly kind of worked his way down the ladder to now, again, a guy that's much more evenly matched in where he's at in his career and his growing in the career of Patty Pimlet to where Tony Ferguson is in his descend downward in his career. So I find them kind of meeting in the middle somewhere on an even playing field at this point in their careers, uh, skill-wise, and, and just ability, that A-side that they that they possess at this point in their careers. Um, but again, it's just it's just such a winnable, it, it's such a big A-side, a bunch, so much to gain with the win right here for Tony. And I think that unlike we talk about Ian Gary, like I said, I'm not quite sold on where I think he's going to go. Do I think he's really good? Absolutely. Do I think he's a top 10 fighter without a doubt? Do I know he's going to be a champion? I can't quite answer that yet. With Patty Pimblett, I've seen a lot of video on him because I watched his Cage Warriors career as well. I watched a lot of his fights over there and I've seen him fighting in whatever it is, four fights so far in the UFC. Certainly not trying to disrespect the guy, and maybe he will evolve beyond what I believe he is. But I look at Patty Pimblett, I do not see him being that guy. Like, I would not, in lightweight division right now, I would not favor him to beat anybody in that top 15 right now. Like, I would not like his chances against Grant Dawson, Jalen Turner, any of the guys on like that cusp of the top 15, top 10. And then you throw him down to closer to the top five, top six. That's just a recipe for disaster. So, in a weird way, like, I don't know that we've seen the ceiling for Patty Pimblett. Maybe we're not there yet. He's you know four fights in his UFC career, about to be five. But I don't have a feeling. Like, I'm just being honest. Like I do not have like a Conor McGregor feeling about this kid. Where I'm like he's gonna be a contender. I, yeah. I, if you throw if you throw him in there against Dustin Poirier right now, that's such a mismatch. Like that is an absolute utter mismatch right now to put him in there against somebody at that level. And I lean Tony Ferguson in this fight. I do. I just think that Tony. You know, Tony has he's had some losses, absolutely. And he, you know, when you look at those losses, to only two fights out of that entire six fight run has he truly, really been dominated. And that was that was when he got taken down and dominated by Oliveira and Benil Dariush, and that was a lot of just takedowns and submission attempts. He was in the fight with Nate Diaz, and that was short notice too. Let's not forget switch of opponents last minute. He wasn't supposed to fight Nate Diaz. Got switched around at the last minute. You know, Bobby Green. It was a bit of a battle. Look at Michael Chandler. He he beat Michael Chandler in that first round. He absolutely had that first round, and then of course Michael Chandler had to kick her around the world. I just I don't know. Maybe I maybe I'm letting my you know my old school mentality get the best of me here. But I'm <laughs> I'm leaning Tony Ferguson in this fight. I really am. Yeah, I I don't know which way I'm leaning in terms of who will win, 
but um it, it's it, it's to me it's right down the middle just because tony we we don't know we don't know how much he's got left tony's tony's one of his best assets was being comfortable in the uncomfortable positions, right? That's what his thing. He was scramble ability. I used to use that word all the time. Scramble ability. He wasn't the best wrestler out there, but he would take guys down or he would find a way into scramble to lock on that anaconda, to lock on that Darce. He would find a way to outstrike better strikers like Cowboy Cerrone. He would throw an up elbow. It started catching up with him. He started losing a little bit of speed and the damage started impacting him more and more. This is a fight, though, that you look at Patty Pimlet. Patty Pimlet's not going to overwhelm him on the feet. I mean, with technique, at least, he might overwhelm him with that young kind of just rush forward bull kind of presence that he could uh, bring. But he'll be looking for the takedown. Tony has an option right there to be able to scramble with him. He doesn't want Patty on the back, obviously. But if he could, if he could stuff one of these takedowns with Patty, find a scramble, lock in one of these patented anacondas during that scramble, Oh my goodness! I mean, <laughs> I, I'm telling you, the, the, he's gonna—he can shake up the world right there. I mean, it would be such a huge night. I, I feel like we would see Tony really get vulnerable inside the octagon right there because, um, again, six f- from from eight or nine fight win streak to six fights in a row that he's lost, he's got to be battling some demons. And I really feel for the guy because he deserves more than this, and or deserves more than his recent actions inside the octagon has showed us but saturday night's a great opportunity for him it's weird to say this you mentioned like if he loses seven in a row like we're gonna have that same conversation again should tony ferguson call it a career and at seven fights in a row the ufc might make him have that conversation just because generally speaking i don't know they'll let anyone go to eight eight losses in a row but in a weird way, like, I almost, I, I I love Tony. I know Tony very well. I've known Tony for many, many years. Now, I don't know Patty. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that I do. I've never really talked to the guy. But in a weird way, like, I almost, I wish Tony, like, if Tony does get a win on Saturday night, man, I would almost like to see him right off in the sunset off that win. Like, just, it's, it, we have so few occasions in this sport where we get to celebrate a guy going off a win or going off a great, you know, Robbie Lawler had, like, the dream exit, right? Like, coming in. Gets the knockout, patented, you know, just signature Robbie Lawler performance, walks away. That's so rare to see in this sport. Like, in a weird way, like, as much as we talk about retirement with a loss, man, I would almost like to see Tony get a win and just say, you know what? You know, via Condios, I'm out of here. It's it's the smartest thing to do. And, and uh, again, I, I can only relate to it from what I've been in, that position. I mentioned earlier, you know, uh, going losing a fight. And, uh, and then I had two surgeries. Right. And so for like a two year gap, I only thing I could think about was my last fight was a loss and I still walk into the gym and I kind of, Hey, what's up, man? Yeah. You know, it's, it's not the same. It's not the same feeling as coming off of a win. And you have to go to sleep with that every night. And the first couple of months you wake up and in the morning and you go, Oh shit, this is real. That, that I did lose that fight. I did get knocked out. They do show that highlight every time my opponent fights now, they show the highlight of me losing. It's such a depressing feeling. And if Tony gets back that feeling of being a winner off of the huge upside that I've been talking about off of a guy like Patty Pimlet, why not walk away? Why why risk it and go, okay, I'm back, I'm back. I want this guy. And then go back and risk it and go right back into that, that hole 
that sadness, that depression kind of feeling of, God, I was right. I was on top. I could have rolled off into the sunset and called it a career. He's already had a spectacular career. I wouldn't risk it. You get If you get the win Saturday night, man, you lay those gloves in the middle of the octagon and people are going to love you. They're going to love them. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S., and visit bellator.com slash watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Bay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it. Support for this show comes from Sylvan Learning. As a parent, you want your child to have every opportunity. But giving them the tools they need to tackle every challenge, that takes a team. Now more than ever, educational support tailored exactly to what your child needs can make all the difference. That's why parents have trusted Sylvan Learning for 45 years as the ultimate teammate in their child's educational journey, instilling in them a love for learning and a passion for reaching the next level. And Sylvan's insight assessment can identify gaps in learning and areas that could be of concern for your child. It's a 360-degree view into your child's learning that you can't find anywhere else and helps ensure that your child didn't miss something in school that might put them at a disadvantage in the future. And right now, it's the best price of the year at $29. Go to sylvan29.com to learn more and get your child's assessment for only $29. That's S-Y-L-V-A-N-29.com. Absolutely. Uh, we mentioned earlier, for all the questions I had about Ian Gary, I don't really have those questions about Shavkat Rachmanov. He gets a big test, though, this weekend against Wonderboy Thompson. Wonderboy is one of those guys that every time we think Wonderboy is slipping, losing a step, it's just, you know, time's caught up to him or whatever, he finds a way. Like, I, like you think about it, like he lost to Gilbert Burns, he lost to Bilal Muhammad, certainly not bad losses. Then you see him go out and do what he did to Kevin Holland, and it was just a spectacular vintage Wonderboy performance. And you look at Shavkat. Now, Shavkat, as I said earlier, Shavkat's a guy I pegged right away and said, this guy's going to be a champion or he's going to be a cop top contender. I was like, I was already you know, frothing at the mouth at the prospect of him fighting Hamzad at one point. Obviously, Hamzad's gone to middleweight now, but I was like, oh my God, one day we're going to see Shavkat and Hamzad fight. What a freaking amazing fight that would be. And Shavkat, listen, for his dominance, he been. You know, he did have to get into a war with Jeff Neal, and Jeff Neal had to, I mean, he brought he brought the dog at him. Now, of course, he did get the submission, get the win, but that was by no means a blowout. He did not blow Jeff Neal out of the water. And we got to remember, Wonderboy styled on Jeff Neal when they fought. Wonderboy, again, kind of like we talked about the Vicente Luque fight, guy who just comes in trying to brawl with you, Wonderboy can pick you apart. On the, on the ground, I think Shavkat has a pretty clear advantage, but one thing... Matt Brown said to me after he fought Wonderboy, and we talked about this fairly recently, he said, I felt like I wrote the blueprint on how to beat Wonderboy. You got to get close. You got you to gotta make it dirty, and you got to take him down. You cannot play at range with this guy. And he's like, so many guys refuse to do that. They just play his game. Masvidal played it, it backfired. Luke played it, it backfired. Holland played it, it backfired. 
I think Shavkat is still that guy. But you play that game with Stephen Wonderboy Thompson, he's going to make you pay. That, that's a great point about, you know, Matt was one of the first guys. He was the first guy to beat him, yep. right, inside the first UFC. Guy, yep. um, I mean, yes, granted, that was a very young, early Wonderboy at the time. But he did. He got in his face, and Matt Brown just fought that Matt Brown type of fight, man. He puts the pressure on you, and he makes you, you know, he makes you consider if you want to be here anymore. And he did that to Wonderboy early, and Wonderboy learned a lesson from that one. But um, it, it, you think about that Holland fight, and you go, God dang, 40 years old, Wonderboy? He still got it. He still got it. Now, Holland, Holland had some opportunities to grapple in that matchup. And he said, you know what? I'm going to stand and trade kind of like our little uh, agreements, uh, agreement that we had before the fight. And that backfired. If he would have went to the ground, maybe he could have stole some of those rounds or something. Who knows how the fight would have gone? Shavkat is that guy. And 100% from the first fight that I saw him, he is that guy. He's good enough on the feet. He's good enough on the ground. Obviously, he has a much clearer path to victory if he's able to take Wonderboy down to the ground. And he, he could do it from everywhere. But... Him putting Jeff Neal away, that was a freaking war. And Jeff Neal is a guy that does not go lightly. And to put him away, that shows the potential that he has. And it, it it's going to be, I think, a fantastic fight while it lasts. And I'll be curious to see that point where Shavkat takes a couple of those sidekicks. And then a, a kick beams by his head that he didn't see coming because it was hidden so precisely behind the punch that uh, that Wonderboy does so well. And he goes, you know what? Enough of this. Let me take this to the ground. And that, if he did that and executed that and took it to the ground and they controlled him and was able to submit him, that shows, look, this is a guy that not only has the potential to be a champion and the ability, but he's making adjustments on the fly. And that's what you have to do with somebody like Steven. You have to make those adjustments accordingly during the fight. It's just not easy. It's not easy when a guy's switching stances and a guy's throwing these things out there, these feelers to get you to commit so he can capitalize on them. But yeah, Shavkat is that guy, man. He's that guy that will be fighting for the title guaranteed in the and future. I think, and I think also, like when you look at this, like it's a weird thing to say this when bringing up Hamzad again. Sometimes I think a fighter, like when you're just, sometimes you just, you want to bite down on that mouthpiece and just throw. You just want to go. And I think back to when Hamzad fought Gilbert Burns. Like, he scored an early takedown on Gilbert, then he just didn't bother trying again. Like, he was just like, let's just go. Let's freaking go. And they went to war and put on one of the best fights of the year. I almost feel there was a little bit of that with Shavkat when he fought Jeff Neal. Like, he's just like, mm -hmm. let's just go. Let's get a war. Because, you know, and you and I both know this, Alan. Like, there's, there's guys in this sport who we always wonder – how good they're going to be when they're not front running. Like we said that for years with John Jones, like how, what happens when he fought Gustafson, he finally fought Gustafson. Gustafson brought the dog out of him. We saw how John had to gut out a win and, and he pulled it out and had to, had to pull out a really tough win. We need to see that toughness. And I think we saw that in Shavkat because he got hit, man. Jeff Neal hits like a truck and he hit him. He bloodied him up a little bit. Still got the win. I don't know that he's going to play that game with Wonderboy because Wonderboy is so good from the outside. I think we saw it when he fought Neil Magny, when Shavkat fought Neil Magny, went in, took him down, submitted him on the ground. Didn't play that game, didn't play the let's see how things go on the outside, long, rangy, wiry striker. Nope, I'm going to take you down, beat you up, and submit you. I get a similar feeling with this one where he's just not going to play that game with Wonderboy. He's not going to let Wonderboy stand on the outside, throw those spin kicks, you know, throw the you know, throw the long jab. I don't. I just don't see Shabcat doing that in this fight. I think this is going to be 
the smart tactical approach for Shavkat and not the let's just see what I could do on the feet with a guy like Wonderboy. That's my opinion. Yeah, and I think Shavkat, I mean, I think he just, he has all the tools, but I remember seeing footage of Shavkat and Ian Gary doing a lot of sparring and training back when they were training together. And, and that's a very similar type style, getting on the inside of a long, fast striker like that who's throwing kicks and, and long-range strikes down the middle. Um, and, and so I think he's got that experience. I think he's going to know how to deal with it. It's going to be a bit shocking at first when he sees this movement and he's trying to get past that sidekick and the switching stances. But once he kind of adapts and keeps that pressure on Wonderboy, I think that's when you start to see the momentum start to really – you know, come on right there. And he's just kind of figuring out the game plan, the strategy to victory. Um, but yeah, the, I can't say enough. Shafkat is one of those guys, Shafkat Rachmanov, Tom Aspinall. Uh, I'm trying to think of someone, somebody else. I, my son asked me this all the time about um, Hamza Chemayev. Cause I always say, look, I knew from day one, Tom Aspinall is going to be a champion. I knew from day one that Shafkat, or I feel that Shafkat Rachmanov will be a champion or at least fight for the belt. And he goes, my son always goes, what about, Chimaev. And I go, this guy, he could be a double champion or he might not be a champion. It, it's still for me, and I'm, I'm I'm sorry that I'm switching gears to a guy that's not fighting this weekend, but he's still a guy that we just don't know what the weight, we don't know what the mindset we saw when he fought Usman. He, he, he has the potential to be a double champion or he might not ever even get that opportunity. But with somebody like Shafkat Rachmanov, I feel... Um, a big win over Wonderboy. See how the rest of this card plays out. I mean, it's kind of a like a welterweight kumite right here. You're getting some of the top guys in the division fighting on the same card on the same night. It, it, it's perfect for beautiful callouts that make sense in the future. Yeah, I, I I'm with you. Not again, not to get off subject, but I'm with you on Hamzat. I I had a lot I had a lot more confidence in Hamzat when he was fighting at welterweight than I do at middleweight, and I think. Again, I know I'm playing, you know, the the what if game. I think if Kamar Usman had two more rounds, I think Kamar Usman wins that fight. Like I really do. He was he really had him. That third round was not momentum going well for, for sure. He had the momentum. I mean, he had a broken hand, but look, it happens in fighting, you know. Yeah, and so yeah, I'm I'm not as I'm not as sold on Hamza at a middleweight. I was much more sold on him at welterweight. Can't make the weight. Weight cuts too bad. I get it. I understand it. But yeah, with Shavkat, I don't like, again, I'm with you. I don't know, will he be champion? Because, you know, maybe he has to go through a Leon Edwards to get there, and I'm not ready to discount Leon Edwards. Maybe he has to go through a Bilal Muhammad, the most underrated guy in the sport, in my opinion, the guy who just does not get the respect he deserves. But do I think he'll get there? Do I think he'll at least get the opportunity to become a champion? Absolutely. And I've had that feeling about him since pretty much day one, and I'm not going to switch that now. I have a ton of respect for Wonderboy. A legend in the sport, been around, fought everybody, but I think this is kind of like that graduation fight for Shavkat where he's going to beat a legitimate multi-time title contender and his next fight's going to be number one contender fight, whether that's you know him and him and Colby or him and Leon or him and uh, Bilal or whatever it's going to be. I think that's where Shavkat's going from here. Yeah, I agree. I think the, the winner of this fight, Shavkat, Stephen Thompson, should fight probably the loser of the main event. You know, if if... If 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 Kobe loses or whoever, if Leon, I think I think that's the next stop, the next step for the winner of that fight. Yeah, I agree. I agree. Now it's so funny that a title fight can kind of slip under the radar a little bit, but there's just so many storylines surrounding Ian Gary, and and we mentioned of course Tony Ferguson, and and I think Shavkat has a lot of hype around him as well. The flyweight title fight, Alan. I got to be honest, this is my pick for fight of the night. Like Alessandre Pantoja. 
and Brandon Royval. I've watched their first fight multiple times. That was an incredible fight for as long as it lasted. Brandon Royval is the Justin Gaethje of flyweight. Like he just goes out there and he just always makes it exciting, always makes it fun. Alexandre Pantoja, his performance against Brandon Moreno was incredible. The run he's on right now. This is my pick for fight of the night. Like it's kind of weirdly slipping under the radar because it's not getting cool. You know, these guys are very respectful. I talked to Brandon Royval, nothing but you know, nothing but great things to say about Pantoja. I've seen some interviews from Pantoja, kind of the same kind of thing. This is just that kind of fight where they're going to go in and they're going to go to war. And this is going to be an amazing, like, I feel like this is just start writing bonus checks right now. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, the, the funny thing that we, we can never get away from it for some reason, but it, it is what it is, is the smaller weight classes don't always get the same respect, right? Because the danger doesn't feel as real as some of these bigger guys, but you know, any one mistake, it could be lights out or a submission, or if a takedown happens in a bigger division, the guy doesn't get up. In the smaller weight classes, the flyweights, it's like a mistake could happen, but that's what, and they, and they will survive, but that's what makes these fights so entertaining. And when you look at the amount of names and fun fights on this entire roster, this entire card from top to bottom, this flyweight championship bout is probably one of the highest skill set ones with these two guys right here. Two guys that can stand and trade and look excellent in there. Two guys, when they go to the ground, oh boy, look out. I mean, you're going to see some crazy transitions. Uh, Pantoja trying to find the back. Royval, slick submissions as well. So this fight, like you said, I mean, it could be just two cats and dogs just just going bell to bell 25 minutes the whole time. Um, I, I know you're not asking me for a pick, but I just kind of feel like Pantoja, from what he's been through lately to get this belt, and as good as he looked against Moreno – it's hard for me to discount him continuing that momentum and growth and toughness and just being one of the best back takers and back finishers in all of the sport, not continuing that momentum and getting the victory on Saturday night as well. Yeah. It's hard to pick against Pantoja with the run he's on. Cause I'll be honest. Like I thought, I thought his fight with Moreno would go a different way. I, I leaned Brandon Moreno in that fight. And then Pantoja went out there, made it a dog fight and, and really, really put on a great performance. And that's a guy he'd already beaten twice. I mean, he beat him very early in his career on the ultimate fighter and then he beat him again in the UFC and he had to do it again in a five round fight. That's never easy. Um, it's one of the reasons why when a guy has two wins over an opponent, you don't generally see them fight a third time because it's like, why? Like what, what do you get out of that? Well, obviously Pantoja got a title out of it. Um, that being said, and I know I'm being a little bit biased here because I did talk to one of them. I talked to Brandon Royval and we basically broke down that first fight and one thing that Brandon said to me that really did ring true, because we were talking about it, I did bring up the Justin Gaethje comparison, that guy who just always goes in there, makes it a dogfight, and makes it exciting. And he said that uh, when he had Pantoja hurt in the second round, Pantoja came out, looked like he was a little bit gassing, running low on cardio, and he was starting to piece him up on the field a little bit. He hurt him and had Pantoja down on all fours, and he started punching him, just kind of went crazy going for the finish. And then right after that's when Pantoja got on his back, took him back to the ground, and submitted him. And he said that I was I should have played with my food a little bit more. I was trying too hard to just go for the finish mm. and not being strategic and not being tactical. I saw blood in the water and I just started feeding and I didn't look at the danger in that. And the fact that he recognized that versus saying he got lucky. He got lucky. He, he took my back. He got lucky. None of that for Brandon. He's like, I made the mistake. I went for a finish when I didn't really have him finished and it cost me. And I appreciate that he acknowledged that. So I'm weirdly leaning I don't, again. I'm weirdly leaning Roy Vall just because I think that he is such a dangerous guy that 
he only needs one. Like you talk about, like you're right about flyweights. Like they don't get the respect they deserve. Roy Vall's that guy, though. He can put you away with one punch. He can put you away with one wrong, one wrong move, one mistake. He'll put you away. And I think that when you go back and watch that first fight, you know he did. He was doing really well. I mean, he was actually going for submissions on Pantoja on the ground. He went for a heel hook, went for an ankle lock. He was he was going submission for submission until he got caught in the second round. So. I'm leaning a little bit towards Brandon Roy Vall, but trust me, I will not be shocked in the least if Pantoja wins. And I and I honestly do mean this when I say fight of the night. I have a hard time believing this is not like 48-47, you know, Dana White standing up and applauding at the end of the night. Like, that's how good I think this fight yeah. could be. And that's the beauty of rematches. Not everybody wants to see rematches, but with rematches, sometimes you make one mistake and it's a tactical error. Uh, and, and the fact that he, he recognized this, obviously – they went and studied the film uh, on their previous fight, and they went and studied all the other fights leading up since that fight that each other have had, and they've made adjustments. But, you know, Roy Vol is over there at uh, Factory X with Mark Montoya, Montoya I believe, right? Yep. A very a very tactical-type coach, right? And so you, it's these subtleties, man. I mean, it's, it's these small things where they go, look, if you would have gone and, and, and not gone for the finish – and, and giving him this opportunity, you could have stayed in this position right here. You could have found the opening later on. Like that could have been the difference and he could be the champion or he could have had the victory that night and see small subtlety. So it's exciting to see the adjustments that these guys have made, especially with the improvements that both of these guys have made over the last couple of years. And boy, I tell you what, not to get off subject, but how good is flyweight right now? I mean, you got Brandon Moreno and Amir Albazi going to fight in February. You got guys like Muhammad Makaya. We just saw this last week and Tatsuya Tyra. What a stud Ooh. that kid is. 23 years old. Uh, Manel Cops out there. He's been, you know, obviously been struggling to get some big fights, but man, he's out there. I mean, this flyweight division is ridiculous right now. That 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 call out was excellent. Tatsuda Taira. I couldn't I could not believe that guy was on the prelims. That guy is um another one of them. I don't say I don't I'm not saying right away that he's going to be a champion, but he's definitely going to be in the top five in my eyes. I mean, this guy so far is Five and zero, I believe, in the in the UFC with three or four finishes out of those. I mean, he's looked phenomenal, so good on the ground. He showed he's got the power and the punches uh, on f Saturday night. He could put, take you out on the feet as well. And then he made the right call out. He said, "Who's one of the hottest streaking streaking guys in the division that a lot of people aren't looking to fight?" Oh yeah, let me call out a uh, Muhammad Mikhailov. Uh, what's it, Muhammad? What's his? Is it Mikhailov? Mikhailov. Mikhailov. Yes, yeah. Muhammad Mikhailov. I mean, that's another one of the guys that I've been very very high on. I think. Yeah, uh, the sky's the limit for him. So that that fight right there would be <laughs> that'd be a tremendous fight, as you said. The division's rocking and rolling right now. And I don't want to, you know, I don't want to put bad juju on a fight or anything, but I know that Makayev is scheduled to fight Alex Perez in March, which is a great fight. But unfortunately, Alex has had some real struggles getting to fights lately. He's had to drop out of several fights in a row. If I'm Tatsuya Tyra, man, stay ready. You might get that call. I mean, I'm just being honest. Like we're in that position where. Maybe you get that call and you step in and you fight Makayev in March. I mean, it could happen. I, I don't want to, you know, I want to put a bad, a dark cloud over Alex Perez's yeah. head, but he's had a bit of a tough time getting to fights lately. You know, he's had some injuries and things like that. So if I'm Tyra, man, just stay ready. You might get that call for March. You never know. And Tyra hasn't taken a ton of damage that's far in his career, much less last fight. So um, he could do it, man. He could step up on that one. If it happens. All right. Let's talk main event. It is Leon Edwards. It is Colby Covington. Let me just start right here, Alan, and say this. And I've said this publicly, and I'll say it again now. I still, right now, don't truly understand why Colby Covington is getting a title shot. I mean, I do. I do in the sense of Colby's a very popular, very polarizing guy, very well-known name. When you look at resume, 
it's not really deserved. Now, I say it all the time. You want to stay sane in this sport, strike the word deserves from your vocabulary because it will drive you absolutely insane. Bilal Muhammad is the most deserving guy. He's not getting the title shot. Colby Covington is here. Colby Covington, regardless of anything else, he is still a very good fighter. But the one criticism I have of Colby Covington that I have beyond anything else, his claim to fame really over the last few years has been giving Kamar Usman a tough fight. He gave him a tough fight in the first one. He got his jaw broken. Second fight made it closer, still lost. No question. I know Colby likes to say he got robbed. He didn't get robbed. He lost the fight. It was 49-46, 48-47 at worst. He lost the fight. Made it close. Beat Tyron Woodley, who we all know is not maybe the Tyron Woodley of old. And he beat George Masvidal, who was one fight away from retirement. Again, I don't know that he fought the Masvidal who knocked out Ben Askren. I don't really know totally what to expect from Colby Covington in this fight. Is he still a very good fighter? Absolutely. But he's fighting a guy with so much momentum behind him right now, Leon Edwards. That confidence, that fifth-round knockout over Usman to then come back and beat Usman by decision? That blew me away. I didn't think, I honestly didn't think he could do that. He did it, man. He took Usman and beat him over five rounds. I like the I, way that you so highlighted that right there as well. Sorry, so sorry, much sorry momentum. to jump no, in there. No, just so much yeah. momentum. Yeah, I mean, but you highlighted it. He to knock out Usman in the fifth round. First off, I think that was his crowning moment. I think that's a lot of people didn't really love jumping on the Leon Edwards bandwagon because he just doesn't really like have that spark when when he sells fights. He doesn't really give you the sound bites. He doesn't say a whole lot of. Uh, you know, just exciting things, but the guy could fight and, and and everyone's always recognized that, but he didn't really have a fan base. And then he gets that fifth round head kick knockout of Usman. And it was like the world was his oyster all of a sudden. Everybody had that, that Rocky moment, that comeback moment where he had doubt in himself and his coach coached him back and he got the kick and he was like crying in the octagon and talking about, look at me now. And it was just like, I remember like, I wasn't following him on Instagram. <laughs> I, I just, I don't follow everybody after that fight. Well, let me let me follow this guy. Like, I want to see what he's about. Like, I, I feel like he opened up to the world finally, and we got to see who Leon Edwards was. So that was that was his moment. But the problem with that was everybody thinks he was getting beat in that fight. He landed one kick. He's not as good as Usman. Then he comes back, as you just highlighted, and decisions him. And I know, like, oh, he didn't put him away, but he beat Usman, a guy that we were talking about overtaking GSP possibly one day to be the welterweight GOAT. And he beat him straight up out of five rounds. He had the wrestling. He had the striking. He had the movement. He put it all together. So now he knows how to put it all together, and he's streaking. So I agree. For me, the biggest the biggest kind of X factor in this matchup is the unknown. What is Who is Kobe Covington on Saturday night? The guy that has been away for so long. The guy that hasn't really been fighting guys at their peak the last couple of fights, as you highlighted again. So we don't know the unknown. The biggest X factor is not only being the unknown, but the advantage that he could still rely on and will need to be the cardio, weaponizing the cardio, pushing a pace that Leon Edwards is going to get fatigued. He's got to be looking at that first fight of Leon Edwards versus Usman. When, when Leon Edwards showed doubt, when his corner was in there imploring him, show me something, how bad do you want this? And he was down and out on himself. He had given up on himself. And they found the spark. But if I'm Kobe Covington, my goal in this fight is to pressure him, to make it just, just 
make him not want to be there. It's just, it doesn't have make it not a beautiful fight. Make it ugly. Make him tired. And try to get this guy to have doubt in his head again. Because once you've had doubt before, you know you can try to find that again. I think he's firing on all cylinders after the uh, the second Usman fight, Leon Edwards. But that's the path to victory for Colby Covington. It's just it's just so much unknown, though. Like, like the guy's been away. The guy, as you said, he's really doesn't deserve this as much as somebody like Bilal, but he's getting the opportunity. He knows how to sell fights, love him or hate him. People watch either way. It, it's... It's up in the air, man. I mean, it's really up in the air with me. I, I think I'm leaning towards Leon for all the things we just pointed out. But, like, you can't discredit the ability to go in there and tire people down with a relenting pace like Colby Covington seems to do every fight. If Colby Covington wins this fight, it's got to be a Colby Covington fight. It's got to be him pressuring forward, putting Leon against the cage and going for takedowns. He cannot play the outside. He cannot play a striking game with Leon Edwards because even though he did it at points with Kamar Usman and Kamar Usman is a much more powerful fighter, Leon Edwards is a dynamic striker. You do not want to play that game with Leon. We were talking about that with Ian Gary. We talked about that with Shavkat and Wonderboy. Do not play that game with Leon Edwards. He will pick you apart. Leon Edwards showed in the first, even in the first Usman fight, or I guess technically the second Usman fight, he took Usman down in the first round. Now then he lost, you know, pretty lopsided the next three rounds. Then he had to the knockout. But I think people forget he took Usman down in the first round. Everyone was shocked when that happened. Yeah. I don't think Leon has terrible wrestling, uh, but Colby's Colby's got to make this ugly. And I know this sounds weird saying this. He's got to make it boring. He cannot go out there trying to highlight real Leon Edwards. He's got to grind him against the cage and just just take away his will to win. Like that's what he's got. He cannot. He's got to just. He's just got to grind this out. It's the old embrace the grind, the wrestling mentality. He's got to do that because I don't know there's another version of this fight where I see him winning. I don't know that I can see him snatching a, a submission or or outstriking Leon Edwards on the feet. Could it happen? Sure. Do I see it happening? No. I think Colby's got to make this ugly. He's got to make it a little boring. He's got to make it so the crowd's kind of getting pissed off that he's pressing against the cage and going for takedowns and all those little things that, that Colby needs to do. Because I throw this stat out there, just being honest, I got to throw it out there. I didn't realize this till fairly recently. The last win that Colby Covington has over somebody on the current active UFC roster was 2018 when he beat Javier Dos Anjos in that interim title fight. Every win, Robbie Lawler, wow. gone. Tyron Woodley, gone. George Masvidal, gone. Every guy he's beaten since then have been three guys at the very tail ends of their careers. Legends. Tyron Woodley, incredible champion. Jorge Mazadal never got the credit he deserved, even when he was in Strike Force back in the day. And obviously, Robbie Lawler, former champion legend. But all three of those guys were kind of one foot out the door a little bit. I mean, I'm just being honest. They were kind of one foot out the door. That's what I mean to the unknown. Like, who is Colby Covington today <laughs> at, at the end of 2023 with all this time away and his last couple of fights being over guys that aren't even fighting anymore? We don't. We don't necessarily no you know the one thing you have complete control over though cardio that's the one thing i mean you could do striking all day you could do grappling and you hope that you're going to be firing on all cylinders but cardio is something you can go through the roof and you can say my cardio i've done everything possible i've worked with specialists i've done everything i needed to be able to go hard 25 minutes and that's what's in his control so that's that's something that even if he's getting outstruck he could make it that ugly fight that you're talking about and get in his face and just just make Leon wear himself down. But damn, you know what I'm kind of looking forward to most in this is fight week festivities, man. 
the trash talking. How does Leon going to deal with this? I mean, this is the first time I think that he's gone with somebody like Kobe Covington. Kobe Covington is going to be bringing his A game to this. He's going to have all his material lined up. He's probably been reciting it in the mirror over and over, paying a couple of pretty girls behind him to do some videos. But he is going to throw Leon Edwards under the bus over and over and over until he gets a reaction out of him, until he has the crowd possibly cheering or booing him. doesn't matter. He just wants a reaction. How's Leon, the guy that's really kind of soft-spoken, doesn't really like to put himself out there that much, doesn't really engage in the trash talk that much. If he's not engaging... And Kobe Covington is just running over him. This is, you know, like in the fight world, like we always feel like it's small wins, you know, if that exchange, the handshake, who got the better handshake, this, the face off, who broke first, who blinked, who's doing the trash talking at the press conferences and who's firing back. He cannot get run over. I feel like that's a small battle that's going to build up to more momentum in favor of Kobe if Leon gets run over during these press conferences. No, you're absolutely right, and and the mental warfare aspect of it is huge. I mean, I think, in a weird way, I think that is something that Sean Strickland used against Israel Adesanya in September. He was going toe-to-toe with Adesanya, didn't back down from one word, and actually I think he got under Izzy's skin a little bit. You know what I mean? I think he just is, just the way that Sean Strickland just jabs at you like that, kind of like what he does in his fights, I think he kind of pissed off Izzy, and then Izzy just didn't, and Izzy just didn't look himself in that fight, and Sean brought it to him. Um, that absolutely could play a factor. One thing that I do, I will, I will mention this because it made me laugh when I talked to Leon last week. I asked him about that. I asked him about the trash talk, and he said, "You know, who Colby reminds him of a Stifler from American Pie." That was and, pretty good. And I was like, "That's pretty hilarious." Yeah. And I was like, "He's kind of right, yeah. like that out, this outspoken kind of wild, crazy guy who just says wild, crazy things." I appreciate that mentality. The fact that he's recognizing that ahead of time—that like I know Colby's going to say crazy, stupid stuff. As long as he acknowledges that and doesn't let it run him over, as you mentioned, doesn't doesn't look perturbed, doesn't look angry, doesn't let it get under his skin, he just kind of rolls his eyes and moves on, I think he'll be okay. But you're absolutely right. If he starts letting it get under his skin, if Colby somehow picks at something, a scab, and it opens up, that could absolutely make a difference in the fight. So, yeah, you're I think Colby's biggest battle may be the mental warfare leading into this. If he can win that battle, that may make the fight a winnable fight for him. Yeah, and it'll be interesting to see how how Leon deals with it. Like he, I think when he's sitting at home and he sees a tweet or something by Kobe that he's not affected. I don't think it affects him that much. You know, this is just some guy thousands of miles away talking trash like he always does. But when they're in the same room, they're sitting somewhat shoulder to shoulder, and you've got a room of hundreds of people reacting to what somebody's staying up saying about you. It forces some type of reaction from you. Um, and that's where I feel like it's going to affect them a little bit more than it did overseas, over Twitter, over the phone, and not to get run over in those areas leading to it. I mean, granted, he's made a successful career out of being a guy that doesn't really partake in trash talk, but he's never really fought a guy that's going to bring the type of trash talk and the amount of um, just insults and whatnot to try to get under your skin as Kobe does during fight week. This is a question I have to ask before we get out of here on this fight because I think we both kind of said we kind of lean Leon winning this fight. This is something that has been said. Matt Brown said it, and it really pissed off Colby because Colby flipped out about it. But I talked to Leon about it as well, and he mentioned it. This is the third time Colby Covington is getting an undisputed welterweight title shot. He's 35. He's not the youngest guy in the world, and he just sat out for the better part of two years. 
if Colby Covington loses on Saturday night, and let's again, I'm saying hypothetically, it's a definitive loss, whether it's a knockout or it's just a clear cut decision. It's not controversial. It's not, you know, split none of that. It's 50, 45, or it's a knockout. It's over. Is there, is there any chance this might be the last time we see Colby Covington in this position? Because, the reason I, I don't know about retirement necessarily because he's already he already started calling out Sean Strickland and I'm not I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility he just jumps up to middleweight or even drops to lightweight because Colby said he could do that as well. Uh, I know he's had some beef with Islam Akacha. maybe that happens. But as far as welterweight goes, I just don't see Colby losing and then saying you know what give me Shavkat Rachmanov, give me Ian get you know I just. I don't see I don't see Colby being that guy. Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'm maybe I'm completely wrong. He loses this fight. And he's like, give me the give me the Usman trilogy or give me something like that. I just don't strike. He just doesn't strike me as the guy who's going to be like, let me work my way back up the ladder, win three or four fights, and get another title shot. Well, if he loses this fight, I don't think he has the leverage anymore, right? Because he obviously had the leverage in this fight. He was deservingly. It was Bilal Muhammad. They gave it to Kobe. Realistically, he probably sells more, right? He makes it a more int- yeah. intriguing fight. You know, they're banking on Kobe putting butts in the seats, buying pay-per-views, leading some trash talk uh, to build this fight more so than Bilal. So they gave him this opportunity. He's one of the top guys in the world. If he loses this fight, no, I don't see him getting another opportunity. I mean, and then that's multiple opportunities. And I don't see him calling out Shafkat Romano for sure, <laughs> but I don't think he has a choice at this point. I think the natural occurrence would be you got the guy that just fought for the belt. You got a guy that's trying to get to the belt like Shafkat. If he beats Shafkat beats Wonderboy, we say, okay, now we put you against a test with this dominant wrestler who's got a tremendous gas tank, who's fought the best guys in the world repeatedly. I don't think Kobe has a choice. Obviously, he could turn down a fight like that and be like, no, I don't want that. But I don't know if Kobe's that guy. I don't know if Kobe's the guy. I think he's a prideful guy and he believes in himself. He hasn't been able to get over that last hurdle to obtain gold status. But he's still one of the best guys in the world, and he believes in, a, in in his ability and what he does well. So, yeah, I just don't think he's that guy that, like, a Dustin Poirier that says, no, you know, Benil Darius, you don't excite me. I don't think he's at that level. I, I think he has used his last favor from the UFC, and if he doesn't win this one, this is his last opportunity to have any favors. Then he then he's at the mercy of the UFC. You have to You become that gatekeeper. You become that guy to break into the top three, the top five. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And yeah, you're you're absolutely right. I mean, he's listen, he's he's um he's getting this based on name value, not because he deserves it, not because he's earned it necessarily. Beating Masvidal 2 years ago does not get you a title shot realistically. He's getting it because Colby Covington's a big name, he draws a big crowd, and this is a big fight. And that's part of the reason why this is such a big card is cuz Colby Covington is involved. But if he loses, you're right, like it all goes away. You know what I mean? He's not going to get that favor again. He's not going to be able to go out and beat you know, Wonder Boy, and then get a title shot again. Like, that's just not going to happen again. They're not going to throw him that bone for, you know, another time. So this is kind of do or die in a way for Colby if he wants to win. And let me be clear, this is a fight he can win. I don't want to discount that he can win this fight. He can win this fight, but I think the gravity of a loss is so huge for him right now in terms of where he goes from here. I mean, again, 35, been out for almost two years, had a lot of rivalry fights, Usman, Woodley, Mazadal. He loses here, you know. I don't. I don't know. I mean, I don't know. Like, what, you know, does he? You know, like I said, I mean, maybe he gets. Maybe he just starts calling out Islam. Maybe he starts calling out Strickland, things like that. But 
Again, I don't know that he's going to be the guy to be like, you know, give me the Wonder Boy fight. Give me the Shavkat fight. I want to earn my way back to title contention. I really don't know that he's, he's at that point in his career. Yeah, I think at that point, you know, it, the ship has already sailed. But I do think that Kobe makes decent amount of money these days, right? Yeah. But he's been away for two years. The guy wants to make money. So he comes back. Let's say he doesn't go his way and he loses. I don't know that I see him hanging it up after two years of not making a payday. I feel like, you know, he's going to be deterred a bit from the loss, but he's going to want to get back in there and get some paychecks while he still can. He's still got two or three good more years in him. Yeah, no, I agree there. I agree there. I just don't know if there's another welterweight title shot again, if he loses this yeah. one. Like, I, I think that might be it in a way. And it, it always depends on how things play out. Obviously, if Leon beats him but then loses to Shavkat, maybe he could get in there with Shavkat. Who knows? But, yeah, it's tough, man. Like I said, he's had, you know, four fights in the last few years. Two, his his two best performances, you could argue, were losses to Usman because I don't know that I would say, man, the Woodley he fought was the same Woodley who was a champion, and I don't know the Masvidal he fought was the same guy who knocked out Ben Askren. Um, but again, what he did to Masvidal, he pissed off Masvidal pretty bad. Masvidal so amped up going into that fight that I don't think he fought like Masvidal fights. I think Colby absolutely got in his head. I mean, how didn't he? I mean, he he attacked him outside a restaurant three weeks later because he couldn't do it in the fight. That's how pissed <laughs> off he was. So you're right. Colby gets in Leon's head a little bit. That could be a death factor in this fight. But again, I'm leaning Leon. I think Leon's got the momentum right now. Um, I'm actually maybe one of like four people that's excited, but I'm actually super excited for Bilal to fight Leon Edwards. We didn't get to see them finish it the first time around. I really hope, Le- I really, really hope Bilal gets that title shot, man. I feel, I, I legitimately feel kind of bad for the guy to be on a 10 fight unbeaten streak, four fights in a row against top 10 competition, knock out Sean Brady, uh, beat Gilbert Burns, and you're still not getting a title shot. Like this, this feels kind of like when Johnny Hendricks, was on the outside looking in, waiting for GSP, and GSP fought Nick Diaz. Kind of feels a little bit like that right now. Yeah, I mean, the good thing is with Bilal confirming that he's the backup fighter, that usually kind of slots you in if you're going to go do that favor for the UFC and make that wait and show up on that date, um, that you should be the next guy in line. Yeah, and I think it makes sense. If, if, if we're talking winner of this one takes on Bilal, loser of this one takes on the winner of Shafkat, Wonder Boy, and then we have a much clearer picture, two fights on the line of who should be fighting for the belt. 100% agree. Well, this is top to bottom ridiculous. I said it on Saturday night, I tweeted out, this is a ridiculous card. This is an embarrassment of riches. We didn't even talk about the prelims, and the prelims are incredible. I mean, as I said, like, Cody Garbrandt is on a prelim. That does not happen unless you're on this card. Josh Emmett, Bryce Mitchell's an incredible fight. So many good fights in this card. I mean, it's just like I said, it is an embarrassment of riches top to bottom when you think about this. Randy Brown, you mentioned, on the prelims. Alonzo Minifield, Dustin Jacoby, that's a banger. Casey O'Neill coming back uh, against Arianne Lipsky, that's a good one. Irene Aldana coming back. She's on the undercard. She just fought for a title. She's on the undercard. This card is ridiculous, Alan. This is a ridiculous card. It's a good one. I'm going to be flying back from Vegas. I'm doing the uh, LFA. They're having a huge show uh, on Friday night. And so, uh, God, I, I have to get home early or try to watch this on the plane. Cause I don't, I don't want to miss the very first, it's one of those cards that I want to get settled on the couch. I want to put it on. I don't want to watch every single fight, you know, and, uh, and just make the most of this. So I'm going to have to do whatever I can in the airports to, yeah. um, to see every fight on this, on this card. So you're calling some LFA fights on, uh, this weekend. So that's, that's what's yeah. next for you. LFA is, is touching down in Vegas for the first time ever, um, and it's going to be a big one, man. The first time LFA is going to Vegas, but they're bringing in me, Michael Chiesa, 
um, Cub Swanson, uh, and Gilbert Melendez. All four of us commentators who kind of circ- uh, rotate on the, on the call are going to kind of rotate on one card. So this is a big one. They wanted to kind of, you know, bring in all the guys, bring in all the guns and uh, promote it. So it should be a fantastic night of fights for, for the LFA and, and a big weekend of fights with the UFC as well. I'm hoping we get to see it very soon. I know you got to get on that rotation, Alan. I hope we get to see you calling some UFC fights sooner rather than later. I think it's uh, I think it's overdue, and I think it'd be a great addition. I think what Laura Sanko did this last week, and she's incredible. Got yeah. a great team. Don't make no mistakes about it. Paul Felder, da- Daniel Cormier, the team that got Michael Bisping, all good. But I would love to see you get the chance to call some UFC fights in the near future. I appreciate it. I just got to stay healthy. I can't get COVID. You know, I was supposed to call the road to the UFC in um, Singapore. It was my first opportunity doing the color commentary. I get all the way to Singapore. I bring my wife out there with me. We're pumped up. I get sick over there and I can't call the fights. So, you know, I just have to, uh, when the opportunities come, I got to be able to make sure I deliver. Absolutely. Well, Alan, thank you so much for joining us this week. I really do appreciate it. Obviously, we will get you back on in the near future. Enjoy the fights this week and enjoy calling the fights in LFA. And we'll see you for another breakdown after an incredible UFC 296 card this weekend. Thanks, brother. Media Podcast Network. The Bellator Champion Series is back in action Friday, May 17th, live from Paris, France. Reigning bantamweight champ Patchy Mix defends his belt in a rematch against dangerous submission specialist Magomed Magomedov. And Cedric the Best Doombay makes his Bellator debut in front of a home Paris crowd versus Jaleel the Realist Willis. Don't miss the action live at noon EST on HBO here in the U.S. And visit bellator.com watch for information on how to watch around the world. This is the very first time you'll be able to stream a Cedric Doombay fight here in the U.S., so make sure you don't miss it.